What's up, everybody? Welcome to Call to the Bullpen. I'm David Payne with Brad Zampar and Jimmy Miller. Let's play ball. Good afternoon, gentlemen. We've got some trade deadline stuff to catch up on and then some stuff that's happened in the last week. The last episode we did uh, the day before the trade deadline as things were coming in. We wanted to, you know, kind of touch on some things as they were happening. So we've got actual deadline day stuff to talk about, including the possibly the largest trade in Major League Baseball history. So let's start there with the Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres, along with Josh Bell. There was a little hold up there with Eric Hosmer, thought maybe it wasn't going to go through for a little bit there, provided us with an absolute banger of a TikTok. Um, but this is a big one. This is a, a massive prospect haul for the Nationals. Uh, CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, uh, who else went in that? Uh, Wood. Hassel. Hassel. Huge, huge prospect haul there. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as good as you could hope for in a Juan Soto trade. I mean, the only team that was providing a better prospect package than that was the Dodgers, probably. Uh, it's probably the biggest prospect haul any team's ever gotten. I, I look at what the Orioles got for Manny Machado, and I look at what they just mm -hmm. got for Juan Soto, and I cry myself to sleep every night since. But it's a great deal for, I mean, I guess you could say it's a great deal for both sides. It's my move as the Nationals, of course, would have been to throw Soto a blank check. I don't think that you trade a one Soto, but if you're going to trade a one Soto, it really jumpstart your kind of rebuild there. That's, that's the way to do it there. And then the Padres get massive star power, sell out every night. When Tatis comes back, Tatis, Soto, Manny, Bell, a top four in the lineup is terrifying. Good luck to opposing pitchers. But I, I guess it's as close to a win-win a and a huge blockbuster like that as you can get, in my opinion. But I'd like to see where you guys are at on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Soto helps the Padres arguably more than he would help the Dodgers because the Padres didn't have any outfielders. You know, they weren't throwing out any all-star caliber outfielders. Um, but I, I like Hassel a lot, and I like they got two major league ready guys in Gore and Abrams. Wood is also a very good prospect. So they have three potential middle of the order guys coming up. So when you consider that you have three, you know, stars coming up, maybe that outweighs having one guy in Soto, you're a more well-rounded lineup as good as, good as Soto is. But yeah, I, I think it's a good trade for both sides. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty pleased if I were the Nationals or the Padres. Yeah, I think it was one of those situations where the Nationals reached a point where they couldn't turn down the package anymore. It's it was too much between him and the organization not being able to come to terms on a legitimate deal. And who knows if that extension will be in San Diego or somewhere else, but it's something that the nationals couldn't really wait anymore on because you lose Harper for a compensation pick. And then you trade away Scherzer, you trade away uh, Turner, and then you end up signing the one guy in Strasburg, who's really not a part of your short term or your long term, or he might not even be a part of a major league roster very soon. It's I feel like it was a good reset for them. It's the best they were gonna get, and without a doubt, it was a whole lot. And for the Padres, it's it's really good because they're gonna get at least this year, and I'm sure next year they'll get another year out of him to maybe work out some sort of extension. But it's gonna be tough to give to make that work in San Diego. Yeah, and I, I think he still hits the market. I think that there's even a possibility that he's traded in two years at the deadline in his walk year so that the Padres can kind of replenish that farm that they, I mean, really 
sent a lot of the, that farm system out between the hater deal and this deal and deals they've made in past years. So uh, I think that there's a chance he gets moved again, but also you know, people are talking about how are they going to sustain this, pay these salaries, this and that. Jersey sales are through the roof. Ticket sales are through the roof. They had to cap the season tickets for next year. They like, that's how they're going to sustain it. It's exciting. The team is winning. They're putting the best possible product out on the field and the, the people in San Diego are eating it up. So that, I mean, there is a possibility that they continue to just throw a shit ton of money at, at players. And, you know, it, it seems to be a sustainable business model. And on the national side, Mike Rizzo's strategy has always been with like these big stars, Harper, Rendon, you mentioned. Um, it has been, you have a guy in the wings ready to take their spot. When Harper walked, Soto was ready to take his spot. Uh, when Strasburg was going into his walk year, what did they do? They, they brought in Max Scherzer. And so they're, they're, uh, Rendon didn't really work out because Carter Keyboom was supposed to be, you know, the guy after Rendon and he hasn't really panned out to be that but they've always had a contingency plan for if their stars leave, there's nothing. There was nothing after Juan Soto. There was no one to replace Juan Soto if he left. So, you know, you get something for him and you get a whole lot for him. So uh, a bit of a, a stray from their typical game plan over there, but a, a necessary one. And you know what? They got their world series out of those guys. And that's, that's really all that matters. They wouldn't, I don't think that they would trade the world series ring for two more years of Juan Soto, but by any means. So, uh, that's uh, still a win for the Nationals in my book. Now, the other trade, Brad and I, near and dear to our hearts, Jorge Lopez traded to the Twins. We got four minor league arms for that one. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we flipped a guy having a career year with a career five ERA who really found it in the bullpen. The, the deal with relievers historically in baseball is you flip them while they're high. You sell high on relievers. They're so year to year. You never know what next year was going to look like. And honestly, Jorge Lopez was not having a good month of July. And then kind of what I was just talking about with the Nats. Like we have Felix Bautista that can step up and be the closer. He's disgusting. He's the closer of the future. And then you have Dylan Tate who can fill that eighth inning role, close some games out as well. Um, but I, I get that you're not, you're not replacing your closer. Really. You're moving everyone up a spot. So you're really replacing the, the worst guy in the bullpen, but we've shown that we can develop pen arms. We have no issue developing our, our young guys into good bullpen arms. Um, so I, I think that, it was a, a move that fortified the system a little bit, you know, take our chances on these young, exciting arms and fill that closer role with the guy that we had. And the twins go out and they get a, you know, a guy who's been fantastic this year in the bullpen uh, for, for their postseason run. So I, again, I, a lot of outrage on social media from non Orioles fans, uh, but I don't care what they have to say. We're Orioles fans. We see the logic in it. The Trey Mancini one hurts a lot more than this one. And I'm not saying I like the return, right? This was not the return that I was expecting to get for Jorge Lopez. I was looked at some of the other, you know, bullpen trades, the F Ross trade, the, Hey, I mean, obviously he's not Josh Hader, but he was pitching to an all-star elite closer level like Hader. But so you see some of those returns and maybe it's a little disappointing in, in the return, but you know, you trust that our system can develop pitchers because they've done a great job with it. And, you know, you kind of just trust in, in 
Mike Elias and, and what they're doing over there, that it's the right move. And I think that it, I thought he was going to get traded. I still think it was the right move to trade him. Maybe this wasn't the package I was looking for, but it, it's the right organizational move to me. Uh, but Jim, outsider's perspective on this. Yeah, I, I think that when you look at Hader and Efros and guys like that, you know, they, they all have that five career ERA, you know, because I feel like that definitely brought his value down. Like as good as he's been this year, there's he, he doesn't have that pedigree, he, even though he hasn't been in this role before that he's had success in. But yeah, I mean, I, I think any return you're going to get is just going to bolster your farm system. As he said, you have Bautista and other guys that can step up and close or, you know, set up guys for you. So to me, you know, as, as tough as it is to give up a guy in that closes role that's had success, I, I think, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world for the Orioles. You know, they have other guys they could put in there. Yeah, just one thing you mentioned, David, it's going to be organizational depth. Because like Elias said after that trade, he, he actually flew back to Baltimore to actually talk about this trade because he wasn't there. But he said this is the window. The, there's a 10-year window opening up, and you're going to have to go get impactful pitchers. And what are those organizations going to want for those impactful pitchers? They're going to want young starting pitchers. And that's exactly what they did with the Mancini and um, – Lopez deal they added six minor league arms all under the age of 23 it's you're gonna have to end up trading some of your higher level guys but as long as you have these younger guys in your system who you were high on and they end up developing in your system it's good roster turnover from the bottom that you're turning into your own prospects obviously it hurts because you're in the middle of a wild card hunt that wild card hunt that you've never expected to find yourself in but I'm really looking forward to what these young guys can do down there. It should be interesting. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about this trade in two years when it packaged some of these guys together and Dylan Cease is in black and orange. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make those moves, too. You see the Padres have this deep, deep farm system that they can just go and grab whatever superstars they want. Prospects are currency right now. So when it's time to make that move, certainly these guys are going to be valuable. Now you mentioned the wild card hunt. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit because a lot of guys, Bob Nightingale, Buster only loves to shit on the Orioles. These guys are all saying, Oh, the, the O's are throwing in the white flag, trading Mancini, trading Lopez. We haven't lost since the deadline, <laughs> right? We've been winning Five and oh. Five and uh, on every single game since the deadline. This is, this is not a throwing in the white flag thing. This was a, Again, like you mentioned, organizational depth. Like the Tampa Bay Rays just pluck guys out of AAA constantly that are quality major leaguers. And we're getting to that point where just pluck guys up. But um, for Taron Vavra is one that we just called up, and he's an on-base machine. All right? We, we, fill, we fill these roles. Right? There was a, a method to the madness there. Felix Bautista has been locked down in the bullpen there at the end. Uh, gave me a little scare the other night against the, the Pirates. Gave me a little scare there, but ended up closing it out. It, we're winning still. This is not a throw in the white flag thing. They, he, you know, There's confidence that this team makes a playoff push. Now the question is, do we, do we stay where we're at? Or do we see, you know, it's only been five games. Five and oh is, is great, but it's only been five games. So we start to see that regression now. Um, and I think that they're, that they're also going into a gauntlet of games right now. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've been playing the Rangers and the uh, Pirates. So, I mean, take that, take that for what it's worth. But 
I think it, a lot of it largely, and you know, I'm not even worried about the the gauntlet of teams coming up because we've hung in there and, and taken games versus the Yankees. We hung in there and taken series versus the, you know this good team, that good team. I know that we hang with those teams, right? I think the thing is when it comes to September is when you're going to really find out what the Orioles are going to be come the end of the season. Is it DJ Stewart and Richie Martin getting added to the roster to, to fill the, the 28 man or is watch it, the games <laughs> or is it DL Hall and Jordan Westberg or Gunnar Henderson is, you know, it, I think largely the, where the team ends up at the end of the season is who are those September call-ups? Cause it would be very easy for them to call up the guys like DJ Stewart who have, you know, seen big league time, the clocks are running on them. They're not part of the future. Let those guys finish the year in the minor leagues. And I, and I don't know what the direction is at this point. It seems, I hope that today is the last time that we ever see DL Hall pitch in the minor leagues. I hope that his next start after today is in the major leagues, but I, with the hesitancy that we've seen to call these guys up, you never know. But I don't know. I, just, there's not I, did, I did tell you about the madness that I discovered though with Elias's AAA arms. They have to have around 30 starts at high A or not high A, at double A and triple A. DL after today would be at 20. I think he'd be at 22. Mm-hmm. So he's, I think he's still got a couple more, but if you're in the middle of the playoff hunt, I think that might change things. Yeah. And you know, if you let him ride out August in the minor leagues, he, you know, he gets three, four more starts. Five plus yeah. six. Yeah. So we were right around that area. So I, I think that that is going to be a, a huge factor there. And, and with the hesitancy to call guys up, I don't see, I, like, I just don't see much reason for Gunnar Henderson to be terrorizing AAA anymore. You know, when, when we've got Rugnado Dor playing second base, like, come on. Rugi, third, third Rugi, base tonight. But yes, third base today. tonight. Santander's working out at first base. Next thing you know, Adley's going to be in center field shagging fly balls. I, I don't know what's going on, but I, I hope that we see – you know, the, the prospects come up in September. And I think that that's when you could really make a push for it. I don't see us hosting a wild card game, but I could certainly see a or wild card series. That sucks to say, I hate that, but I, I could see us. I could see us sneaking in. I can, I could really see it, but we'll see. What do you think, Jim? I, I, I think that they are like a legit contender if they do bring those guys up, but I think with rebuilds, you normally see the team get better every year. Like, you know, they get to 80 win plateau, 85 win, and they get to the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that even if the Orioles win 80 games this year, 80 and 82, you know, you got to be happy with that going into next year because really the, their, their window starts next year, in my opinion. You know, if, if they make the wild card this year, that's an added bonus. But a lot, I see a lot of people on Twitter weren't very happy with the Mancini or Lopez trades, but. You know, they're not really part of their future. And I, I think that if you can just keep replenishing the farm system with younger talent, um, you're just going to have that influx of guys even when they're at their peak. It's not it's not like this is a fluke season where they, they're somehow winning and they don't have a future. You know, it, the future's bright there. So I think they're a legit contender. Um, but I, I don't know if they'll, like you say, host a wild card. But obviously I'd be very confident if I'm an Orioles fan. Yeah, I feel like they're definitely not like that fluky team that comes out of nowhere with a bunch of veterans like the Giants last year. Or the Marlins in in 2020. Yeah, it's just teams that really come out of nowhere that have phenomenal seasons. And then you look a couple years down the road and you're like, "Mm, how's this team going to compete? So I feel like they definitely have a stronger window than most younger or out of the blue teams. 
Yeah, and I, I think that to an outsider's perspective, perhaps it does seem like this is like, oh, the Orioles are, are you know, fluky good. But we've said all along, you know, Brad and I for probably four years now, like 2023 is the year. That's go time. So, you know, before go time, you need that solid season that, you know, we were, again, the worst team in baseball last year. Had the number one pick in the draft, you know. So you need that season to build off of. And we've always known all along that 2023, as Mike Elias put it, is liftoff, right? We're going to be active in the free agent market. We're going to be active in the trade market. You're going to see a different Orioles next year. And, you know, people who don't follow the team like we do might not have expected this, but this we're, we're at where we expected to be. And that's, I think around what Jim's saying around, around 500 come the end of the year. So where, 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 we're where we expected to be that we're where is tough there werewolf we we're where i don't know what i'm saying but that's so let's talk about now a team that might have been fluky good to start the season who is now again we talked about all season how the yankees were going to have some regression the yankees were, were going to see them not be this super powerhouse team and now uh are they they're 500 over their last 42 aren't they yep. yeah 21 and so, 21 yeah, so uh, we're seeing that regression that we talked about. Uh, listen, we don't have a crystal ball; we just know ball. That's all. That was that was good. That was like Dr. Seuss level rhyming there on accident too. But, yeah, we we saw this coming. I thought that after the deadline, they really filled the holes that they needed to fill, but it hasn't translated on the field. Garrett Cole is a fraud. Garrett Cole is, is a bigger fraud than Bernie Madoff, but. I don't know what the deal is, man. They they have such a big lead in the East. They're not going to lose it. They're not going to lose a 10-game lead over the next team. So they're going to win the East. But they've been passed by the Dodgers for the best record in baseball. They're tied with the Astros for the most wins in the American League. The Mets are one win behind them. They are not this outlier special team. They, we said all along they're not touching the Mariners' uh, all-time wins record. They're uh, honestly possibly a division series exit because the i mean i think at the end of the year astros get the buy the best record buy and then i think the yankees do end up with the division winner buy because the central central winner is going to be still 15 games back of wherever they're at so they're going to get that wild card round buy and then i think that they're a divisional round exit possibly depending on who they get matched up with but they're not touching the astros in a playoff series the astros are the team from the american league that's going to be in the world series and I don't think there's anyone close to them that's going to even challenge that. Uh, you know, the, I don't want to – the Yankees aren't frauds. They're a good team. They're the second-best team in the American League still, I think, by a, a good margin. But they're, they're nowhere near the Astros' league, honestly. That's, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you look at the common denominator of why they've been so bad lately, you know, these past 40 games since Clay Holmes. I, I think, you know, he started off so good. He's been so bad lately. Um, I, I think that they will win that division, but like you said, I, I, I think people overhype them too early, but at the end of the day, you know, their, their roster, they should, you know, win 105 games, but I, I just don't see it if they're, if that closer role is not secured with Holmes. So, I mean, Holmes has to be better for them to go deep bottom line. Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of that regression that was coming. They were never going to sustain that pace. It was it was borderline impossible. 
And then I feel like it's you add so many pieces at the deadline like they did. It might take a little bit of a little bit of something to like start to mesh a little bit in the clubhouse, stuff like that. You obviously lose Montgomery, who's been there forever, but you bring in Montas. It's 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 gonna be a little weird for a little bit. But I still think like you're saying, they're easily the second best team in the American League. But say they pull Toronto in the wild card round. That's that's a, that's a tough matchup. You're going to have to go against Gosman. You're going to have to go against Manoa. That's going to be some tough games to win. So, yeah, I could definitely see them being a divisional round exit. Yeah, and I, I think that there's some head-scratcher moves uh, as far as the roster goes, too. You mentioned Clay Holmes being terrible lately, and Ron Marinaccio has been incredible. Lights out, like a .47 ERA or something like that. And they're optioning him. And, and he's not a part of that bullpen. It's like you need the bullpen help, and yet you have this guy who is lights out, and, and he's not going to be a part of the major league roster right now when you really need some wins. It's, and then, uh, I mean, Oswald Peraza tearing up the minors while IKF is, is uh, I mean, he, I guess he's, he's serviceable, but he's not the shortstop of the New York Yankees in a playoff hunt, you know? Uh, here people say, like, oh, he's, he's doing what you expect IKF to do, but – that's not what you expect the shortstop of the New York Yankees in a playoff hunt to do. Well, you have a guy in the minor leagues tearing it up that could come in and play in the infield there. Imagine if they had the uh, former number one prospect for them, Jorge Mateo. <laughs> they had the best <laughs> defensive shortstop in all of baseball who's going to swipe 45 bags this year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's some head-scratcher roster moves too that, that really make you think, and, and I think that they have those a little bit of those every year. Um I think that the, the Cashman regime, I don't know, he did a good job at the deadline, but he he didn't do a great job last offseason, which caused him to have to do a good job this deadline, which caused him to have to give up a lot from the farm. So I think that the Cashman era, I, I'm, I'm still on the team Cashman era has to come to an end there for, for sustained success. Now, the A.J. Preller era, as we talked about a little bit with Juan Soto, is uh, it's going fantastic over there in San Diego, but it's not translating to wins against the Dodgers. Straight up, they cannot beat the Dodgers still. The Dodgers are big brother. What the hell? I just got signed out. I just got a notification saying I got signed out. Anyone else just get a weird notification? No. Am I still on here? I'm still yeah. here. I guess yeah. I think it popped up on my screen that I've signed out because I'm signed in on another device. That was weird. Well, uh, they're not translating to wins versus the Dodgers right now. They are the little brothers still, as far as I'm concerned. And until they can show that they can beat them, you know, they could have they have the biggest crowds in the world show up. That doesn't matter if you don't you know, win out in the end of the day. So where do you guys see the Padres versus the Dodgers right now? We uh, power rankings. We had the Padres jump the Mets, which I don't necessarily agree with, but. A roster wise, as far as after the deadline goes, if you put the two teams next to each other on paper, I'm, I'm going to take the Padres roster wise. But uh, when when you guys look at Dodgers versus Padres, one is this even a rivalry? Because the Padres fans want it to be so badly. And two, are are they in the same league, or is this a Yankees and Astros scenario NL version? I don't know. I, I think that it is a rivalry. I mean, the Padres are still a very good team. You know, they, you look at the rotation, you know, with Darvish and Musgrove and they're, you know, they just got Juan Soto and they have Machado at third. You know, they, they're two very well-built teams. You know, they're both playoff caliber teams. So to me, they're, it, it definitely is a rivalry, but the Dodgers are definitely the better team. Um, they might not have done a whole lot during the deadline, but they really didn't need to add anything, you know, to be that good when you have, 
Freeman and Turner playing like they do. Um, so, yeah, to me, I, I think the Dodgers are still going to run away with that division. I, I don't really think it's a competition there. Yeah, I think it's a rivalry to some extent because they see them the most often. They're going to be playing them. It's two phenomenal rosters. And it, But at the end of the day, I would take the Dodgers over the Padres 100 times. To, I think in their last, like, 70 games or something, the Dodgers are, like, 45 and – 20 or something like that it's it's something it's something bizarre you wouldn't expect so i would i would definitely say the dodgers still own them and it's the padres have some work to do against them to say the least now so far in the season series the padres have won two games and the dodgers have won one two three four five Seven, seven to two on the season series right now. I'm not sure it's a rivalry. I think that it's like the University of Connecticut football constantly making up rivalries with different schools when it's, there's not actually a rivalry there. They were, do, Brad, do you remember when they tried to like make a trophy against one of the Florida teams and they would Florida team won the game, left the trophy there. They didn't even care about it. It, they're just, I think that until there's some kind of back and forth there, like legitimate back and forth of winning and having good games like they're losing eight to two these are not close games the season series is not remotely close I think that it's a rivalry in the sense that the Padres want to be the Dodgers but the Dodgers aren't concerned with the Padres it's it's like when you play a a pickup basketball game against your five-year-old brother and and, you know it's a rivalry to him because he really wants to beat you and you're just swatting balls and then you know it's not a rivalry as long as there's not good competition to me. And no, I don't, I do think that the Padres are a fantastic baseball team. I just think the Dodgers are all time good. Like even, even the, like the Yankees, I wouldn't say like they're, they're not touching the Dodgers. I don't, I, I'm really looking forward to a Dodgers Astros rematch because I think that they're two, the deepest, best teams of our lifetimes. But I don't I don't think that the Padres are necessarily in that same league. I see it as Astros and Yankees on the NL side. And I think that's it for quick hits. Yeah, that's it. So Major League Players of the Week, Jim, what do we got? So for the AL Player of the Week, we have a guy that struggled to start the year, coming off a great 2021 in Salvador Perez of the Royals. Big power week for him. Eight hits, four home runs, 10 RBI. 700 slug and a 967 OPS. NL Player of the Week, Pete Alonzo of the Mets. 12 hits, three home runs, nine RBIs, 375 average, 719 slug, and 1178 OPS. AL Pitcher of the Week, Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays. He had an eight inning, no run, 10 strikeout, with allowing just one hit and one walk performance in a 3 1 win over the Rays on Tuesday. NL Pitcher of the Week, Mad Max Scherzer of the Mets. 2 0 over two games. 13 and two-thirds innings pitched, two earned runs, 16 strikeouts with a .88 whip. AL Rookie of the Week, I'm very high on him. I picked him to win the AL Rookie of the Year, but obviously J-Rod's kind of running away with that. And Reed Detmers of the Angels kind of struggled, you know, with the per- with a no-hitter in between there, but he started to turn it up lately. Two games, 14 innings pitched, two earned runs, 19 strikeouts with a .93 whip. NL Rookie of the Week, we have a newcomer in Andre Pallante of the Cardinals. He's 
filled a great role for the Cardinals. They have not been great, you know, with their pitching depth this year, but he's kind of served like a spot start, you know, reliever role. And we saw that this week, two games, he had an eight inning, no run win. And then later in the week against the Yankees, he went four innings, no runs and got the win. So two and oh, over two games with 12 innings pitched, no runs, 10 strikeouts and a .92 whip. The Cardinals are like, NL Rookie of the Week factory. They're constantly <laughs> cranking out NL Rookies of the Week. And I, I love seeing Reed Detmers get back on track, too, because he was a huge part of that early Angels success. I also love to see him getting back on track now. Brad, take us down to the farm. So AAA, it's going to be a guy that's been around for a long time. It's DJ Peterson. He's a first baseman for the Albuquerque Isotopes, who won the award last week as well. He's 30 years old. He was a 2013 first-round pick, 12th overall by the Mariners. He was out of organizational ball uh, in 2019, went to a Mexican league and independent ball with the American Association. He was signed by the Rockies in November of this year, and he's really saved his uh, baseball career right now. In AAA, he's had a very good year this past week. He was 7 for 19, doubled once, homered four times, drove in seven, had a 10.53 slugging and a 14.53 OPS. Double A, it was Justin 4K, 4Q, sorry, FOSQ, FOSQ. <laughs> Plays second base for the Frisco Rough Riders. He's 23 years old. It was a 2020 first round pick, 14th overall out of Mississippi State. He's number four in their system and he is 59 in baseball. He's having a really good year in Double A. This past week, he was eight for 15. Doubled three times, homered three times, drove in seven, had a 13.33 slugging and a 19.44 OPS. High A was Xavier Warren. He was drafted as a catcher, but he's been playing first base and third base with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. He's also 23 years old. He was a third-round pick, 92nd overall in 2020 by the Brewers. Uh, he's 18th in their system right now, and this past week he was 11 for 22. Doubled four times, tripled twice, homered three times, drove in 10, and had a 13-33 slug with a 19-33 OPS. Finally in low A was Axel Sanchez. He's a shortstop for the Modesto Nuts. He's 19 years old. He was a 2019 international signing uh, for 450000 as a 16-year-old. He's not inside their top 30 right now, but when they update the lists at the end of the year, I'm pretty sure he'll be in the back end of that. This past week, he was 8 for 20, doubled twice, homer three times, drove in 13, had a 950 slug, and a 1405 OPS. Axel Sanchez is a badass name. That's a cool name, dude. That's a baseball name if I ever heard one. And Justin, man, we're, we're sorry. We, we practiced that one beforehand. We really did. We did. We, I we forgot the FOSQ. That That's all right. We rehearsed that one, but it's, it's all good. He, he, he'll understand. He will. Now, who are our best and worst umpires of the week? So our worst umpire, you saw him. You sent the tweet to me. He was just god-awful. It's Hunter Wenslet. He did. That's not going to be right at all, that last game. Wendell Stat. There we go. Uh, would not have gotten that in 100 tries. He did the game Friday in L.A. with the Padres and the Dodgers. For the, for the day, he was a plus 1.64 for runs for the Dodgers. So overall accuracy, 91. Consistency, 89. Called ball was 95. And his called strike was 82. And I have a honorable mention for one of the worst umpires of the week, too, this week. It's, it's Rob Drake. He did the game Thursday in Texas with the White Sox. 
and he had the worst called strike accuracy of the game this year. He was 59% on a called accuracy. He called nine of 35 called strikes true balls. And for the best one, best umpire was actually the game Saturday with the Orioles and Pirates. It was Ron Kupla. Orioles won the game six to three. He was an overall favor of 0.12 for the Pirates, but his accuracy 98, consistency 97, called ball accuracy 99, and his called strike was 95. Good game. Solid game. Now we're going to Owen with the top five plays from the last. Well, I'm going to call him early, make sure he's up and up. Now we're headed to Cooper for our lesson in baseball history and our colorized photo of the week. Hey everyone, welcome back to Photo of the Week. This week's photo is of Roger Maris signing a ball for President John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office. Maris signed a ball for JFK as he sported his 1961 World Series ring on April 27, 1962. Maris was signing the ball for the Society's annual fundraising appeal as he chatted with Kennedy. At the time, Maris was one of the biggest names in America winning the MVP in back-to-back years, hitting 61 home runs, and winning the 61 World Series. Thanks, and back to the guys. Thanks to Cooper for that. Now we're headed to our power and sour rankings. These are are little, so they're the first ones since the deadline. So deadline played into it, uh, as well as, you know, your typical stuff, run differential standings, how the last week went. So on the sour side, number five is the Brewers. The Brewers traded away Josh Hader and then blew two games in the ninth inning. That's about as sour as it gets. Uh, Above them at number four is the Texas Rangers. Three, the Boston Red Sox sticking around. Two, these guys, San Francisco Giants. Just been a a real letdown all year. And one, after trading Juan Soto, who could it be but the Washington Nationals? Even though we rated that kind of a win-win and still traded away generational talent a guy who I think is going to be an all-time great, so sour for them. Onto the power ranking side at number five, we have the Mets, uh, which is debatable there, the four and five spot. At four, we got the Padres, who jump, you know, they were at seven last week, jump three spots. I mean, certainly a huge, huge deadline win, the biggest winners of the deadline, adding Soto, adding Bell, adding Hayter, adding, uh, well, Drury. Uh, so a huge, huge deadline for them. So, I mean, rightfully so, they catapult up. So they're at number four. Number three, the New York Yankees sticking around. But, uh, I mean, if they continue this pace, we, they're, they're going to drop. We're, we're going to see them drop. Number two, the best team in the AL, the Houston Astros. And number one, best team in baseball, the L.A. Dodgers. 
If you want to see six through 10, you could check those out at CTBP pod on social media. That wraps it up for this episode. Like I just said, CTBP pod, follow us, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. That's the other one. Uh, Subscribe to us on YouTube and we'll see you all next week with another episode. Thank you.